I'm sorry. When those economic numbers come out, you should have the head of the SBA out. You should have the Commerce Secretary out. You should have the Treasury Secretary out. You should have your uh, you should have uh, your their lead of your White House Council domestic of, of uh, uh, economic advisors. Okay, and, and again, I'm gonna say this again because it's actually it's kind of pissing me off, y'all. There's a black woman who is the lead of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. The last time I saw her was when she was on this show. I don't. I, I'm telling y'all, I don't understand. It's not like she can't talk. It's not like she's not telegenic. It's not like she doesn't talk in sound bites. She does. And so I'm sitting there going, how do you, you don't release a written statement when we have the GDP numbers? Trump was running his mouth, all his people. Larry Kudlow's out there. They on CNBC, Bloomberg. MSNBC, Fox News, Fox Business, talking about, man, the economy is roaring. It's going. They were lying. Right. <laughs> this, is right. Part, this is part of the deal, because I do want to show you this, because this is in the Georgia poll. Only about one-third, now I'll show this, only about one-third of Georgians say their financial situation is better off than a year ago, compared with 42% who say they're worse off. You cannot convince me that 42% are worse off with the stimulus checks that were sent out, with the unemployment benefits that went out, with the excess money that folks got, PPP loans. I say that's and all... child credit. That's all that child credit. That's a factor mm -hmm. of really no yeah. one... Uh, all you're hearing is it's awful, it's bad, gas prices going up, supply chain issues, oh my God, inflation. Yo, the you can't have that GDP growth and then have this poll, and both things are true. Faraji, go ahead. Right. Just real quick, I mean, I think that's, I'm, 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 I'm totally in agreement with you. We don't, you know, this administration, everybody's been saying it, it doesn't toot its own horn. But I think that, that when you talk about the economy, you do have to break it down to a, a place where people can just, um, kind of pick up on it. You know, when you're talking about Kraft Heinz, who's a company that produced Oscar Mayer hot dog sausages, they talking about Capri Suns, they said their prices, they, they gave an announcement earlier this week saying that their prices are going up on consumer products and foods. I mean, people have to see it and feel it to believe it. And even, and I, and I think that's the big, that is also the big disparity as to why the conversation around econ economics in this country seems so far off. We got Dr. Malvo who understands the ebbs and flows of how the economy works and understands the history and how things go. But when you're talking about to the common black man, common black woman and trying to understand when they see gas prices, when they see supply chains issues, when they see when they see food is going up, you gotta you gotta help to people to create a context about this. And this is why government is so important because we don't know all of the ins and outs. I mean, we just we're we're operating on this level, right? Of trying to get through the day in and day out. But on the level of national politics and national business, that's a whole different thing that has to be explained. And I think that is the big problem that we have these conversations. Like, you know, we might say a conversation about the national debt. Oh, we a trillion dollars or a billion dollars. Like, there's it's so hard to conceptualize what that actually means to people 
who are still fighting for $15 minimum wage. Um, you know, when you're talking about these numbers, these numbers are flat. They're not dimensional. They're not tangible because there is no understanding of how this number affects this number that affects the pockets of Americans every day. So that, I think that is part of the big issue as to why we're constantly kind of having this, we're being in this vicious cycle about the eco economy. The American people don't know. We don't know what that means. You know what I'm saying? We don't know. We learn about it, but we just don't, still don't so, have a full understanding. So, so Julian, can you explain, Julian, can you explain again for people who are out here and, and it's, it's because you have folks who are saying, oh, my God, things are awful. Uh, we're going in an awful direction. Things are worse off. Okay, so best GDP since 1984. Mm -hmm. You have stock market. You have low mm -hmm. interest rates. Yep. You have the, the amount of money that was literally put in the pockets of mm -hmm. Americans. Okay, I get inflation. I get that. But when people are saying our economy is so bad, it's awful, how, what do you respond when you hear that? They watch too much Fox News. Uh, that's <laughs> because Let me, that, that, no, 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 hold up, hold up. Stay right there. Not just Fox News. Fox News, conservative talk radio, conservative folks on Facebook, the constant barrage of the the, um, we are failing. America's failing. China is crushing us. Putin is beating beat over the head. People cannot. I keep telling people you can't overlook the impact in red states where all you have are six and eight conservative radio talk stations on the radio dial. And it's the echo chamber every day. Awful. We're bad. We suck. It's terrible every day. Go ahead. What? Democrats need to invest more money in telling the story. They don't do it. So you've got Fox and all those people you mentioned on one hand, and you've got the silence of the Democrats on the other. The fact is inflation is bad. Um, and the inflation story is one that Democrats need to tell also, because it's especially bad to people at the bottom. Um, right. If, if, if you have to pay 10 cents more for a hot dog rolling, you're not going to worry about it. Nor will I or anybody else on this panel. There's somebody who is moderate income, uh, with three kids has to pay more, it hits. So we need to talk about that. Biden has done a decent job with the child tax credit and a couple other things of paying attention to people in the middle and at the bottom, but he has not addressed them. And when he goes out running around, he needs to talk to these people about the economy. What one of the ways that, you know, rolling back in the day, and you know, I'm a seasoned sister. So back in the day, there were newspapers had economics reporters. They had Consumer reports. You ain't got none of that. That's gone. So, so, so basically, you've got you basically you got some of these little chickies and chicos, brothers and sisters who don't know anything. So many people don't. So we're trying to understand the economy. Most people take it down to the kitchen table. What does this mean for me? For what I'm eating? For how I'm filling up my tank? Things like that. But when you take it up to the macro level, you have to connect the micro to the macro and say, this is why this is important. This is why it's important that Jerome Powell said he's going to wait until next month to raise the interest rate. Those We expected that he might have done it this month. That's an important statement about 
something cautionary. And for working class people who have mortgages, who have loans, this is a month for you to get your records together and try to get a lower interest rate if you can. It's a month for you to pay down some credit cards. It's a month for you to look at uh, some things regarding, um, you know, whether you should borrow or not. And again, financial literacy is at a zero in this country. We in the black community have begun through NAA, Urban League, others to increase the level of financial literacy, but it's not where it ought to be. And so people are still making dumb decisions that make them feel like they're worse off. Uh, before I go to Greg, I, I want to quickly go to Reese. Reese, you were trying to make a point after Faraji spoke. So go ahead. Yeah, because what I, one thing I wanted to point out was, you know, you made the, the, the comment about how could they be better off this year as opposed or better off last year. In May of 2021, Brian Kemp ended the $300 of federal employment, unemployment benefits early. You had Republican governors across the country who, who rushed to end the additional assistance that was provided by the Democrats to people who were out of, out of a job as a result of the pandemic. That was what Republicans did. And so this whole narrative that Trump put money in my pockets or Republicans are putting money in my pockets, no. Republicans were actually taking hundreds of dollars out of people's uh, unemployment benefits since last year. And another thing, too, the last thing I wanted to say is that, you know, I've read articles, particularly articles about black folks who are um, dissatisfied. And every article I've read, the first thing I push back is on, on is I say, well, listen, this person said that they have two kids. Are they not getting the child tax credit? Because that's either $250 up to $600. I mean, yeah, $500 to $600 extra a month or $250 to $300 extra a month per kid. And you're talking about the price of a cheeseburger going up. I'm not trying to diminish inflation, but a lot of people got a lot of extra money last year. And the same people mm. that are talking about they didn't get anything, I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. You mean to tell me $250 ain't enough for a, 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 a per kid? Was it enough to do anything? You're you're worse off. Oh, like, oh, 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 just just to back back it up. I got some fool named Ronald Lee in the chat room. Roland acting <laughs> like that stimulus was life changing. Uh, uh, life changing punk punk ass five bands. Fool. There were people who literally were being evicted. There were people right. who could pay for their health care. You goddamn right. That check for a lot of people who were losing their homes. Now, you might be sitting your ass at home in a comfortable place, but I can tell you, it was a bunch of people in 2021 who was like, thank God for that check. Yep. Right. The check, man, yep. the check was life-transforming, Roland, for millions of black Americans. I don't know where they find these folks, um, but basically, it was life-transforming, especially for people who are making less than $50,000 a year, which is most Americans. You know, right. but, but see, right. we don't have a good perspective on what we earn, what we keep. This sister right. at Morton asked these children, how much do you think the average person earns? And they're coming up with six figures. One child said $800,000. Right. Said, yeah, that means your daddy rich. That doesn't mean anything else. That means your daddy rich. But when you look at the average American, the average black household has a median income of under 50 grand. It's about 40 and change. Mm. Uh, the average mm. white household, something like 60 grand. So we're yeah. not talking about, you know, I don't know where people get these perceptions from, but this causes the kind of dissatisfaction that many are feeling. If you think that everybody's making more money than you and you're making the median, then you're mad. The median, like the median household income in America in 2020 was $67,521. Now, that 
Well, right. But it's, it's determined in terms of how they factor in, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, what is a household? And typically it's like, you know, um, uh, uh, four. But check this out. But this is, but now there's another number. They call it the real U.S. per capita with 53,504. So, you know, it varies there. I, but, 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 but the reality is you still have to deal with how people perceive things to be great. Because I'm going to go back to this Georgia poll. Um, in May, in May, in this poll, 5% of Democrats gave Biden an unfavorable view. That jumped to 21%. In May, 8% of black voters disapproved of Biden's performance. It jumped to 36% in the most recent poll. And why do I say that? That is an impact, George Floyd Justice Act. That's an yep. impact on the voting bills. Yep. So... What the White House and what Democrats are going to have to do, they're going to have to figure out between now and August, how are you going to speak to the needs of African-Americans? Greg, you said earlier that you believe the Supreme Court pick is going to be a huge deal, but there has to be another one. Now, I understand the White House is, and I've, I've actually, I've been made aware I'll be very careful. I've been made aware of the uh, draft orders of the executive orders dealing with uh, police reform. Uh, but again, it's a question of you better look at these numbers because you, this is this is going to impact Abrams, Warnock, Demings in Florida. It's going to impact the races in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. They got to stop saying, oh, we got lots of time. No, you don't. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Greg? No, no, you don't. Roland, I mean, where to continue in this? Uh, and again, I echo what Dr. Malvo said. This is why this, this, this platform, this network is so important. We have to, we have to be smarter than we've been. Uh, John Bracey up at UMass, University of Massachusetts, always say people spend theories off of very thin margins of knowledge. So if we started <laughs> with the very basic question, what is the growth, what is the meaning of gross domestic product? It's the value of good services provided. That's, that's, that's very basic. What is the difference between the gross domestic product and corporate profits? The answer to that is corporate profits are damn near double the gross domestic product. Most people don't have anything in the stock market. What, what, what Faraji said is very important in this regard. Inflation, as Dr. Malvo said, who is the economist here, is being driven by corporate profiteers who have no incentive to stop this superheated runaway engine called the global economy. On the front page of today's Financial Times, the International Money Fund issued a report that's, that they anticipate the global economy to shrink over the next several years in terms of gross domestic product. And good news about gross domestic product means absolutely nothing to someone whose check continues to shrink because the value of their dollar doesn't move. Now, how does that translate into policy making and policy? There is no party that fights for the poor. Right. The Democratic Party is not a party that fights for the poor. They are a wholly owned subsidiary of finance capital. It is in their interest to win elections. The reason they're not messaging is because they're scared to death that the people who are so alienated and disaffected by the fact that they are being crushed by global capitalism are not going to come out to the polls. And, and they so are so locked.
locked into the middle class, the middle class, the middle class. Reverend right. Dr. William Barber keeps saying the growth on, to win is with these poor folks in this country. Okay. Julian mentioned earlier, folks, go to my computer. The black, the, the medium average household for black people, 45,870. So okay. we were talking about when those checks were being sent out. If you do the math, y'all, if your median household is $45,870 and that's you, a wife, and two to four kids, uh, you ain't sitting here, um, you know, uh, you ain't got a lot uh, to, to be playing with, especially depending upon where you live in the country. And so if you're talking about child tax credit, that stimulus check, how much was that stimulus check, Julian? The stimulus checks were... Um they rained, um, they were in the thousands, low thousands. Right. And so if the, if, the, if the median average income for black people was 45870 that's $3,800 a month. That means if you got a $1,000 stimulus check in your household, that check was 30% of your household income. Come on. Don't Go try rolling. to tell me that was a small-ass check. Then you got the child tax credit could be up to $500 for two children, and you basically had $3,500, you got you know another $500 per month. That's kicking you up again by uh, almost 20%. Greg, go. Say it again, Greg. Is that the black median income? That's black. Oh, the median income. Yeah. No, no, the median, the median income is 67. That's everybody. That included white people. Black people is $22,000 less than okay. the median. But that consistently, includes Consistently, black median moderate income is about two-thirds that. This consistently over the past 20-some years, about two-thirds that of white. And that, there are things you can do to, to play with it to make it even worse. It's two-thirds of the total, which means well, it's an even smaller percentage if you're looking black to white. And if you look well, at the whole of Greg, I'm, I'm going to come to you. And if you go to my computer, if you look at this chart right here, you will see the impact of that recession under Obama, how it dropped, it dropped around 2011 to 37,500 and has Dang. been steadily going up, uh, it up, 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 then it flat, it, 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 then it was flat between 2017 and 2018 and then began to climb back up. So people just need to understand the reality of the numbers. Greg, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, again, this is where we we run the risk of, as my old advisor, Theofalo Bay used to say, mixing many things. Race certainly has a number in that in that schematic. But what that doesn't show is class. Right. Because the black people who have more money, the black people who have disposable income, the black people like us who are working, we are figured in there, too. So what I'm saying is there are vast numbers of black people who have nothing right and and they are the ones who in the locked in these red states where finance capital corporations have bought the politicians shout out by the way to john roberts because everybody we all look at shelby county versus holder but the real tipping point in terms of supreme court jurisprudence is 2010 citizens united where they took the leash off of just basically a propaganda war driven by these profiteers. Now, that having been said, they are locked in these states. Now, what does that mean and how does that translate? Well, it comes down to this. We are in, in many ways, the end game now. 
in this country. We think of this as a country, but corporations don't think of this as anything but a parking place for the rules that drive their ability to profit. So they're going to make sure they finance politicians that don't get in their way. That's what that previous story was about. They're, they have gamed it. Now, the people who are the most disaffected, the ones Reverend Barber is talking about, in order to drive them to register to vote and to go out to the polls, you've got to have candidates that are going to fight for them. And quite frankly, the, the, the right. Democratic Party is not led by people who are going to do that because they have already conceded to the idea that you can never weaponize the poor politically. Now, once you've right. learned from that, this is what you're left with. The last defense for the poor, would, might you might look to it as the possibility of the rule of law. But even when you deal with a, with a federal legislature, that is, by the way, in complete control of time, place, and manner of federal elections. There is no state role in that, right? They will not even exercise that authority because they are terrified because they have allowed these states to set up basically many countries. And in those many countries, and when you talk about right-wing media, it is corporate-owned, it is driven by the billionaire class, and it depends on keeping these poor people misinformed, as Reese said. And as you can, if you can just keep that vote suppressed, you never have to worry about anything. And so the last thing I'll say is this. Those people in that Georgia poll are not wrong. Because many of those people don't have a mortgage because they don't own their homes. Many of those people see their, their their money shrink, as they say, as they fill up their gas tank and the price goes up. And they don't understand because the company that sells the gas is making record profits and it ain't got nothing to do with the gross domestic profit going up. So when they hear that, they experience cognitive dissonance because they, they have to be taught by the Julianne Malvo's and those of the world to understand that GDP don't mean a damn thing to your pocket cause unless you connect it to corporate profits, unless you connect it to inflation, unless you walk through how this is a superheated global economy with local consequences. And if you want to change it with policy, there are only two options. You've got to put people in elective office that are going to fight back against it. And that is a slim to none chance as long as we don't punch through and help people understand why getting in the process is important and tell these political parties to stop electing people who are going to sit on the fence. And then if all else fails, You've got to have those who will enforce the rule of law in a way to protect you. And when they put that sister on the Supreme Court shortly, the reason why I said this is intellectual warfare and we have to get past just the demographic look is because whoever they put on the Supreme Court that might interpret the law differently is going to be writing dissents uh -huh. for the foreseeable future. But that becomes important when the dissent becomes the opinion that is drawn on by a majority in the future to convert it into law. This is the long game that the white nationalists have been playing since the passage of the civil rights legislation of the 60s. And I'm quite certain that we are at an inflection point in this country now where the corporations are going to make more money. The GPA, the, the GDP may come continue on, to grow, But the come vast on. majority of people who suffer in this country, like the vast majority who suffer all around the world, are on yep. the precipice of going into a permanent underclass. And we've got to be smarter than we've been and stop talking about these local polls and politics as if we're discussing something local when in fact we're talking about local implications of a global economy. We've just got to be smarter than that. This is why, I, Julian, if, if we are we're talking about, okay, how, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with the numbers? How do you deal with this here? I have said this for a very long time. I'm going to keep saying this. 
I said it directly to President Obama's face and his advisors. Stop going to suburban Ohio or suburban Virginia and touting your Affordable Care Act. I yes. said you need to go to the brokest, Come on, brother. sickest, reddest parts of the country, look them in the eye and say, I passed that law for y'all because y'all ass are the brokest, sickest people in the state. I totally understand. I totally understand the strategy of the White House when it comes to COVID. But you cannot, President Biden and Vice President Harris, be held hostage in D.C. They can be holding, they can be holding COVID safe town halls. They can oh, yeah. be going to these places and saying point blank. And and I'm, I'm and again, I'm going with what my man Joe Madison says. You got to put it where the goats can get it. You got to say, how many of y'all got that check? And that check, your governor cut off those unemployment benefits. I That's wanted right. to keep funding that, but your governor cut that money off. Why did your U.S. senators vote against uh, my That's act right. that gave you more money? Why did your U.S. See, they've got, you got to engage in that level of warfare because, again, all they're getting is what they're hearing on conservative talk radio, Fox yes. News, and on Facebook. And so that's where they have to be. They're sitting here. You're, you're not going to win this war running a whole bunch of damn TV ads uh, just talking about the economy or sending out these level of press releases. Reese talks about it all the time. Damn it, get your meme game up. I done said to Jamie Harrison, y'all need to go hire the damn Lincoln Project to make some damn ads for y'all because they show move a hell of a lot faster than y'all do when it comes to doing it. You can... Why do Democrats want to play nice? Why do Democrats always want to play nice? I don't. I don't. I don't understand it. And I'm gonna tell you right now. Uh, Peter Roussel uh, was deputy press secretary to uh, Vice President George H. W. Bush, uh, and Peter was an adjunct professor at Texas A&M. And this is what he told me. He said, "Roland, he said, um, always pat yourself on the back." He said, you know why? Because ain't no guarantee somebody else going to pat you on the back. If you don't tell your story, somebody else is going to tell your story, and it may not be the way you want it to be. So so the economic numbers and the political reality, those two things actually go hand in hand. And so uh, we'll see how this thing, this, this thing here uh, unfolds. Uh, and we'll and we'll do that. Uh, and so, uh, Dr. Julie, I'm Alvo. We appreciate it. Thank you so very much uh, for joining us, uh, breaking down these numbers. We appreciate it. All right, y'all, uh, going to pay, uh, pay some bills here. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the banning of ghost guns in Maryland. Uh, and we'll talk about some other news as well. Folks, don't forget to download the Black Star Network app. Do so on your Apple phone and... I'm Godfrey, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble.
Arkansas, an Arizona, an Arizona family is looking for answers after 19-year-old Gregory Elliott Buckner Jr. left for work on the morning of December 20th, 2021, and has not been seen since. Gregory is six feet tall. He weighs 190 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. He was wearing a black jacket, red hoodie, and dark colored jeans the day he disappeared. Anyone with information should call the Phoenix Police Department at 602-261-8774, All right, folks, uh, a uh, bill has been introduced uh, in the uh, Maryland legislature to deal with the issue of ghost guns, ghost guns. Now, uh, this is obviously uh, significant. Uh, it's a significant, a serious problem uh, that we see uh, all across the country. Uh, and it was introduced last week by the state's attorney general. It would ban the sale, receipt, and transfer of unfinished parts to make ghost guns. Eventually, all ghost guns would be banned by January 2023. Uh, they are untraceable and do not have serial numbers. Prince George's County, Maryland, has seen an increase in gun crimes and the seizing of ghost guns. Joining us now is Aisha Braveboy. Prince of George's County State's Attorney. Glad to have you back on the show. So uh, how huge of a problem are these ghost guns for you? What, how, you know, in terms of in, in, in cases and things along those lines, what are we looking at? Oh, absolutely. Well, we have seen a huge rise in the use of ghost guns really over the past couple of years. Uh, prior to 2000 and, uh, two, or 2020, we really didn't see a lot of these guns uh, on our streets. Uh, but in 2020, our officers seized about 167 of those types of guns from our streets. And just last year, uh, that number almost doubled 260 uh, guns, uh, over 260 guns that are considered ghost guns were seized from the streets. So what that means is that there's an increased use in ghost guns and an increase, uh, you know, access to ghost guns. And what is so critically important about these this type of weapon is that they are not, it is not regulated currently. So the sale of these guns are not regulated like other guns. So you can purchase a quote unquote ghost gun, and I'll tell you a little bit about what they are in a minute, but you can purchase these guns all over the internet. And so there are people who would otherwise be prohibited, people who are under the age of 18 who are prohibited uh, or really under the age of 21 in Maryland who are prohibited from purchasing the, this type of firearm as well as individuals who might have mental health issues or who have had prior violent felonies who are otherwise prohibited from possessing a firearm can actually purchase these legally uh, from the internet because they are not regulated as other firearms are so the legislation would would uh, regulate these weapons and and place them under the same category as other firearms in our state and regulate them like other firearms. And so individuals who would be disqualified from purchasing a firearm in, in the state of Maryland would also be disqualified from purchasing ghost guns. 
Now, is that because uh, the National Rifle Association uh, and other folks have been out here uh, limiting the ability of folks like you and state legislatures uh, to uh, limit or prohibit uh, these guns? What type of what type of pushback are you getting? Because it it sounds rational, but it's not that simple. Well, you would think this is a common sense bill. However, this bill has been introduced uh, at least twice before in the legislature, and it hasn't gone anywhere. We have seen opposition from the NRA and other gun rights groups. But more importantly, I think we have not had the courage, quite frankly, as a Democratic Party in the state of Maryland to stand up uh, for our residents, for, for the people who live in Prince George's County and all over the state of Maryland who want to ensure that guns are only purchased by people who are qualified to purchase them that young people don't get their hands on guns. Let me tell you, just recently we had an unfortunate shooting at a high school in a neighboring county, Montgomery County. Um, what is being uh, reported is that the gun used in that shooting, and this was in a high school, a 17-year-old student uh, shot a 16-year-old student. What we are uh, understanding is that that gun was purchased by that 17-year-old student through the internet, and it was purchased as a kit. So, so, so the way that the ghost guns are sold are, are, are in kits, which is what prevents them uh, from being regulated like other firearms, because when they come to your home, they are not a completed weapon. They're not operable. You actually have to put them together. So they're about 80% complete when they are sold, but you have to attach the receiver um, in order to be able to operate the weapon. And these weapons are getting in the hands of young people, very young people who really should not be using them and have used them, unfortunately, against other young people. So it's really important that we uh, control who gets these guns. We hold these manufacturers accountable for who they are um, selling these uh, weapons to uh, because it, again, has deadly consequences. This is not a game. These are real firearms. They have the same deadly consequences as other types of firearms. Right then, Aisha Brady Boy. We appreciate it. Thank you so very Thank much. You. Keep up the good work and uh, Thank you very much. keep trying to make it happen. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. Let's go to California where the San Jose City Council approved a measure requiring gun owners to have liability insurance, the first requirement of its kind in American history. The insurance would encourage gun owners to take safety classes and use gun locks. Additionally, it will cover damages or losses if the gun is accidentally used or causes harm or death. Gun owners must report if the weapon is lost or stolen to authorities. Opponents say it violates their, of course, Second Amendment rights and plan to sue the city. Gun owners will also pay a $25 fee that would go to a nonprofit that offers community resources such as firearm education and mental health services. You know, you know I get a kick, Reese, out of every time, oh, this is violating my Second Amendment. Why? Because it require you to have insurance? Um, that's not in the Constitution. But I mean, it's, I mean, it's like, just it like any, it just, it like, like that's that, that's the, they, they really think the Second Amendment just is just blanket, do whatever the hell I want to do, no consequences, no nothing. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a gun is something that can be the difference between life and death, and so these are very reasonable um, requirements. I mean, getting insurance, it actually does more to protect these gun owners than anything. So, I mean, I understand that it could be maybe a little bit cost prohibitive for some people, but then I guess you always don't get to own a gun. How about that? You know, so I, I think it's just amazing that people talk about gun violence and they talk about crime. And the first thing people want to go to is increasing police presence. No, we have to get some of these guns off the street. We have
have to make gun owners responsible so that their guns don't end up in uh, hands from being stolen or from being lost or whatever the situation may be. Then you also have children who um, access, you know, guns and end up killing themselves or killing their siblings or somebody else. And so this is just a very reasonable step. And it's a shame that something like this is even newsworthy. And we don't have more actions to get gun violence and guns out of under control. I'm confused here, uh, Faraji. You need liability insurance for your car, but y'all mad because they're going to require you to have liability insurance for your gun. I mean, I think that's an excellent law. And I mean, just I was just thinking the same thing, Brother Roland. You, if you, your, your car can be used as a weapon, as we've seen in many cases, especially what we saw in, Charlotte, in Charlottesville. I mean, your car can be a weapon. Why wouldn't you get liability insurance for your gun, which is... A weapon, you know, and I, and I think that 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 when we look at this gun situation, especially around the ghost guns, and I'm in Baltimore City, you know, it was just announced that homicides, the leading cause of death among black young black people in Baltimore City, is homicide. And and you know, when I was listening to Madam State's Attorney Brave Boy, she was talking about the bill, but in in Baltimore City, the commissioner here, Michael Harrison, the police commissioner, said there were seven that we're on track to recovering. 700 ghost guns last year they had recovered 345 ghost guns i mean that's double in just a single year so when we're talking about gun ownership when we're talking about gun use and when we're talking about the second amendment i mean there has to be something much different there has to be a much different conversation i mean look folks got to be responsible about gun ownership if you're going to use a gun, be responsible with it, and you should go through every single hoop and fire to ensure that people who don't have guns will be protected because guess what? You know, it's the owners that's making the decision to go out into public spaces and shoot up places. It's the owner's mentality that, is, that puts us at risk. The gun is, is, is what it is. But then there's also the bigger thing. I mean, we can't we can't just overlook the fact that America loves the culture of violence. We we crave it. We we just we're and we're just so driven by violent behavior. So just as much as we talk about dealing with the guns issue, trying to take guns off the street, you gotta change the culture of violence in this country. We gotta stop looking at certain films. We gotta stop you know, there are networks that are just all about violence. You know, uh, you know what? I, I, I don't, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I really don't think it's a question of, frankly, films or music. I just think at the end of the day, and I've said this, um, violence is in the DNA of America, Greg. I mean, it is, it is, it is, we, this country, it is your program. Oh, get a yep. gun, get a gun, get a gun. You don't, you don't even have to watch a lot of violent shows. It's get a gun. Oh, you feel unsafe? Get a gun. Oh, solve, solve your problem. Get a gun. And so what happens is, like, like me, I, I, I've had people, I've had people look at me like I was crazy when I said I've shot a gun one time in my life at the FBI Citizens Academy. It was a machine gun. And I was like, this is what y'all get all excited about? Like, <laughs> really? Now, let me be very clear. Let me be perfect. Now, people who understand. I grew up in a community in Houston where the portion, the portion of my street, there were black folks who owned their homes, there were older couples, but I can look right up right here, just 
probably 100 yards from our porch where I saw the FBI, the DEA, and the Houston Police Department take down crack house. Uh, I've seen all of that. I've, I saw, I've, I've witnessed in my neighborhood there are people who are living in places where there is significant violence. There is rampant violence. But what I'm talking about in this country, in this country, you can be living in a suburban community, and these folks act like you got to have – these folks got more damn guns than I got pairs of golf right. shoes. <laughs> and, I, and I got 20 pair of golf shoes, okay? And it is this whole just this mentality of gun, 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 gun. That's what is so pervasive in America, Greg. It is in this country's DNA. Violence. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh well, it's a settler state. It's born in violence. There's no place to return to in the concept of the United States of America that isn't born in violence. It's interesting you say that about you know, Roger about films and 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 and, and Roland, as you say, it's not in, it's not in the it's not just the films and the music, it's in the DNA. I was rereading an article on Michael Jordan from about five or six years ago, and it talked about how Jordan stays up all night watching westerns. He and his father used to do that. And, you know, Michael Jordan played basketball the same way they shoot at each other in the westerns. Uh, coming up for the Super Bowl, half those companies that are now supporting the white nationalists in terms of voter suppression will have ads at the Super Bowl, and ain't nobody going to turn it off because they like the violence. The mm-hmm. whole culture, as Faraji said, is violence, but it begins with settler violence. Now, how do Come we on. stop that? How do we reverse that trend? Well, we start local, go state, then federal. What we just see, what we're seeing now, you just talked to the attorney, uh, brave boy, what we're seeing in San Jose, California, are examples of local and state. But what the white nationalist party has done to cement its coming minority rule, which is in service of corporate profit and all this kind of stuff, is that in playing the long game, they have figured out that while they might not be able to stop a San Jose ordinance that, by the way, has no punitive dimension to it, while they might not have the numbers in the Maryland legislature to stop an ordinance there, although, please understand that all, I'd like to ask, uh, Attorney Brayboy, while we're focusing on the black areas, PG, and as Friday said, Baltimore, I wonder how many of those uh, online purchases are going into rural Maryland, into the homes of people preparing for the race war but the again the line of last defense will be the courts now what's happening in california is that while san jose passed this the state of california is still sufficiently peopled at the legislative area and level and with the governor to perhaps look over at texas as gavin newsom has said and say well if the supreme court is going to let these white nurses in texas basically turn everybody in Texas into a deputy policing a woman's womb, I'm going to pass legislation in California to turn everybody in California a de- into a deputy policing guns, which means now you've triggered the federal issue, the Second Amendment that you bring, which brings it all back to the courts. There's no country called United States of America. There is a bunch of fighting going on and people trying to command power over other people through the courts, through the legislatures, and by the time we look up and try to do something about it, they may have already gamed this system in a way that will, quite frankly, make all of us go out and get guns. Uh, it is, uh, again, where we are. Folks, I do want to, 
I'll get to the story here. A Georgia sheriff has concluded there was no evidence of foul play in the 2013 death of a Georgia teenager whose body was found inside a rolled up gym mat at his high school. Uh, Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk spent nearly a year reviewing the death of 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson after obtaining the Department of Justice's extensive file on the case. However, Johnson's family says they don't believe the report and they don't care how long it takes. They will keep fighting for justice. More and more each day, we have students reaching out to us, speaking to us. They are grown now. They are starting to talk. And we have, if it takes 10 years, 11 years to find out the truth, we will be steadfast in finding out the truth of what happened to Kendrick. We will prove that this sheriff department once again lied. We're talking about a child was murdered in their school. And they treat us like we are we are the, the ones who causes all kind of chaos and problems. Our son was murdered on their school on their campus. State investigators uh, years ago concluded Johnson died in a freak accident and federal authorities never brought charges after closing their case in 2016. I, I am still... Um, for me, this thing is common sense. Um, Greg, Reese, and Farage, it, it's common sense. Because what they basically said is he had shoes at the bottom of this mat and to get his shoes he climbed into the mat which meant he would have to be upside down to get his shoes and he died okay y'all this is why i got a problem okay this is a i got a putting green peter because y'all know how i play golf i'm always putting This is supposed to be this big old mat, okay? His shoes are at the bottom of the mat. So imagine if I stuck my hand down this this hole right, this is a tight hole, stuck my hand down to grab some out to get to the bottom of the mat. Or I would do this. Right. Right. I got a big old mat. My shoes in the bottom. So I'm going to climb up to be upside down. Y'all hold my legs to grab my shoes or we going to tip the mat over. Hey, grab that shoe. I, I'm still I'm not about it. They interviewed 100 people. They reviewed tens of thousands of emails and text messages. They reviewed surveillance from this high school. They analyzed a lot of information. They also had an independent Department of Defense medical examiner, independent medical examiner slash forensic pathologist. So they had two of them, and they and they reviewed medical records and autopsy reports. However, this is the issue. That's not to say that he wasn't killed. That's not to say that something was not done to him. 
But what we have to understand, at least as it relates to the federal investigations, they have to be able to prove a number of things beyond a reasonable doubt. And so the 17 boxes of evidence is actually from the federal investigation. And so, you know, it's a tragic situation. It does not make any logical sense. As you said, Roland, why wouldn't you just move the mat? Why would you turn around and... um, and get stuck in that way. And, and, and the, the, the family's um, examiner had found, and this is the reason why the federal uh, Department of Justice got involved, that he died of blunt force trauma as from the neck and the jawline. And so there was evidence of something obviously violent happening to him, whether it was a violent free accident or somebody did something to him and they tried to cover it up. Something happened to Kendrick Johnson that should not have happened. And so I just, my heart really goes out to the family because I, it doesn't sound like they're going to, I'm not, it sounds, I'm not saying that they would ever be at peace with it, but it doesn't sound like they're going to get the justice that they're looking for. Not necessarily because, I mean, the sheriff's department, that's a different thing, but there are other recourses, which is the federal and the federal, uh, Department of Justice might not be able to give them what they're looking for because the proof of who did what, when, and where is not mm-hmm. there, unfortunately. And it's, it's it's it breaks my heart to say that because this family is really hurting and Kendrick Johnson should be alive today, but that's the reality of the situation. Yep. So my heart just goes yep. out to the family. Uh, it is. Uh, I, 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 it, it's just, it's just, it's just strange. So, uh, I do want to do this here. A former high school football player in Michigan accused of hazing is now suing the police department and the city for discrimination. Cleveland Harville says that police officers only targeted black athletes during the investigation. The suit claims some of the athletes at Warren De La Salle uh, Collegiate School who were investigated lost athletic scholarships and other opportunities. Harville also says he was not a student on the or on the football team at the alleged hazing. All charges have been dropped against the athletes in the hazing investigation. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Folks, a mother of a high school basketball player in California posted this disturbing video. The racist high school student shouting offensive and racial slurs at her son on Friday. Watch. was taken 
when it should have been done immediately. Uh, I'm just saying, Faraji, if I'm sitting in those stands and that racist is saying that, oh, the game, right. the game is going to be paused. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm Ron Artest in his ass, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and challenges as black folks in this country that I think to some degree when we do hear this in modern day 2022 we are kind of numb to it we, we haven't we haven't fully you know we, we the, the sting of saying the nigger uh, or from uh, from anybody because we said to ourselves so our brains and, and Dr. Carr correct me if I'm wrong but our brains are don't pick up the inflection or the A at the end of it. We just, oh, that's just somebody talking or I don't want to say nothing. Like we are being conditioned to lose our humanity in the midst of savagery. And that's the part about it. Like if somebody, if somebody calls you nigga or somebody uses, who says calls you a monkey, that shouldn't be like, oh, that's just talk. You got to confront it. We all got to confront it in such a, 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 a strong way to send the message. Man, who the f- do you think you're talking to? I'm telling you right this now. Ain't, this, ain't, this ain't 1822. This is 2022, baby. We will knock you the fuck out. I'm telling you right now. I would have got sit. I would, Greg, I would have went and sat right next to his ass. Say something. No question. Say something. I want, no question. Say it one more time and see what happens. Say it one more. See, wait, wait. He, he, he's not gonna be. He ain't gonna be saying the whole game. Say it right. <laughs> Greg, Greg, final comment. No, you're right. I mean, but you know, and Faraj, you really owned to something, brother. The biggest fight I ever saw at a sporting event, Tennessee State football game, and the the alphas were sitting. No, when the alphas, the kappas were sitting in 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 front of the sigmas, and the Alpha, uh, the, the, the Kappas started singing Green Acres is the place to be and then you just saw this wall of blue because the Sigma's like are we country now and they started brawling Amos Wilson used to say the reason that black people fight black people is because we have been socialized not to fight white people do you know when they would have stopped calling that young brother a name in the OC if he was playing for their team yep. see what we don't seem to understand is that like you said Faraji the, the so called malice in the palace when Ron Artest is laying on that bench or on that right. sports table trying to calm himself down, and then white right. boys so comfortable because they've been trained in this country that when there are no humans involved, you can roll us up in mats and kill us and they'll let you go. They can shoot you in, in your bed and your boyfriend shoot a gun at them. They charge him. They can put their knee on your neck, whatever. Ain't nobody going to jail. You put one white boy in jail, the rest of them they're going to let go in a couple of weeks. Well, then you can throw a cup of beer down and hit him. But here's the problem. New York came out and he went up in them stands, and then Steven Jackson's like, well, after that, I'm going my boy, and they beat that ass. Now, what's the equivalent of beating that ass? Roland gonna sit there and say, now say something. He ain't gonna say nothing, but guess what? Everybody gonna watch the damn Super Bowl. You wanna know why them corporations are not going to stop funding the white nationals? Because you ain't gonna make them stop. You gonna watch, and they gonna pet you in the head, they gonna scream for their nigga on their team, and if he switch team, they gonna come against him. Go ask my man, and we're in Philadelphia about that. When he decided that he was gonna come back from a broken leg and damn near won a Super Bowl, and when they got mad at Terrell Owens, the N-word came out. Go ask uh, Dick Allen about that, the Philadelphia Phillies. Go ask Barry Bonds about that, San Francisco Jack. Go ask Dave Parker about that when they threw batteries him in Pittsburgh. He was on their team. Ain't none of them in the Hall of Fame, and they ain't got a damn thing to do about performance in 
enhancing drugs. It's got to if you're our N word, we don't tolerate racism. But once you switch teams, you are an N. Guess what? Because we all niggas. And in the words of Samuel L. Jackson in school days, y'all niggas, and you gonna be niggas forever. <laughs> well, uh, wow. oh my I, goodness, I damn sure wow. not. Say this, try it, see what's gonna happen. <laughs> just to try to see what's gonna happen. I'm just saying. I, I, I will. I will say this here. I will say this here, you know, uh, you know, we all have our chants, we all have our uh, our slogans. Uh, we were at, we were on the Tom Jonah cruise, and normally I went. Normally I would go play golf when they had a beach party, cause I I don't give a damn about no beach party, okay? It's say on the golf course. Uh, but one of those stops, I think it was like after Hurricane course was shut down, so I was like, damn, I gotta go to the beach party. So at the so at the end, so I didn't realize at the end of the beach party they had this they had this ritual or they had this annual deal where uh, the Omegas were staying in the middle of the, at the end of the beach. They play Atomic Dog. They be in a circle and they be chanting, barking, or whatever they would do. So um, so uh, so Oscar Joyner was on a microphone. And he was leading a chance. And so I was like, well, damn this. I, w- I w- went on stage when Will, Will Packer, my frat, was on stage as well. So he leading a chance. So I start chanting my damn self. And so they chanting, I'm chanting. Uh, and so then he going down uh, and they take a picture. And so we going back. And now, y'all, it's, it's about it's about 100 of them. And it's me and Will. <laughs> and I'm I'm chanting, we're laughing, so it's really it's one against a hundred, which is really unfair <laughs> for the Omegas. One against a hundred. That's really unfair oh. for them. So we sitting here going at it. We sitting there chanting. And so uh I yell oh six, then the Omegas yell suck dick. And I was like, oh. Then I came back with we party all night, we stay up late, but most of all, alphas graduate. Graduate. Nobody responded. And I went, is a hundred of y'all? Y'all ain't got no comeback? Y'all, shut them down. Now, mind you, we all laugh, and this is what we do. So let me tell y'all what happened. This is a true story. <laughs> and we come back from the cruise. Man, I'm slit taking a nap. My phone ring. Tom Jordan called me. Tom, man. Hot. <laughs> Hot. I'm watching the video. This is, this is, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, my frat, y'all wrong. So I got, y- y'all didn't understand. I got banned from the Tom Joyner cruise. <laughs> what? <laughs> I ain't never, to- I ain't never told this story publicly. Wait, I got, what? I got banned from the Tom Joyner cruise. <laughs> now, y'all, I'm on the show. Right. <laughs> I'm on the show four days a week. That's I got, man. I got banned from the cruise because I messed up they little mega moment. I start laughing. I was like, Tom, you serious? I like, you serious? You that hurt? Cause I cracked on the old frat brothers. I was like, yeah, I I wasn't phased. I mean, it wasn't like I was getting paid to be on it. But it was like, yeah, and so the reason I got back on the cruise, uh, cause the sponsors had requested me to come back on, cause they were like, cause <laughs> In fact, the next year, one of the my man Ali Sadiq out of Houston was on stage, and he was like, "Something different about the cruise this year. What is it? Where's Rolling?" <laughs> oh. They went to him like, "Say, man, can you stop bringing that up?" He was like, "What? I'm just saying, something different." 
The energy is different. Rolling ain't here. Yo, that's what happened. So I get it. Some of these frats get a little sensitive with their whole deal. And so I get it. I'm just saying, graduate. All right, y'all. That's it for us. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate it. Roger, Reese, uh, and Greg, uh, y'all again uh, next week. Of course, we got uh, three, uh, got four shows launching uh, next week on Black Star Network. No, <coughs> music. Cue uh, up, uh, of course, America's Wealth Coach Deborah Owens. Her show uh, launches. Roll it. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you what you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. And of course, uh, Faraji's show, uh, which will be a daily show, launches. Go. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. And, of course, uh, Greg, Dr. Greg Carr, I'll be hosting uh, his weekly show as well. Roll it. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Now, uh, now tomorrow, I will be uh, showing you uh, the promo for Reverend Dr. Jackie Hood Martin's show uh, called Fulfill the Art and Joy of Balanced Living. So we have that for you tomorrow. Don't forget... Every two weeks, we have a new episode of Rolling with Roland. Uh, the next one we're going to be dropping uh, this week is going to be my man, Bill Duke. Uh, and then that'll be followed by uh, Michelle Roberts, uh, who recently retired as the executive director of the National Basketball Players Association. And so if y'all have missed Rolling with Roland, uh, we got it ready? Y'all got missed Rolling with Roland? Here's a sample of the interview uh, with, with the great Glenn Turman. Aretha and I met as a result of a friend of mine named Ben Vereen. She was standing in the mirror in front of, you know, the lights go around the star mirrors Mm -hmm. and dressed in white and getting ready to perform and she was standing up and she saw my reflection in the mirror and she gave a little, ah, you know, and I gave a little, ah. (laughs) (laughs) A mutual admiration. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. She expressed at that time that she wanted to, uh, she had moved to California and she wanted to take lessons in acting. She wanted to do some acting. And I was, like I said, I teach. Right. You know, I was, I've been teaching for 12 years. You know, and uh, so I said, well, I teach acting. And if you want, come, come down to my classes. One evening, class was very disruptive. They were all at the window. You know, I got get back here. You know, come on, we got a class here. What are you doing? A limousine just pulled up. You know, a lady got out in a fur coat. <laughs> she walked into the class. And my first reaction was, you're late. <laughs> and you told the queen she was late. She was. You wouldn't let her know, I'm a teacher. I'm a, and I'm serious. And I think that's what she came to find out. Was I serious? 
and uh, I was. And so we became serious. Serious enough when you got married. That's as serious as it gets. So I hope y'all understand uh, we ain't been playing around when it comes to look at the shows, quality of the shows, all that good stuff. What you got to say, Reese? What's up? Well, I want to know, what time do these shows come on? First of all, Reese. Do you have a time? Reese. <laughs> Reese, calm down. <laughs> Honestly, I've seen all the promos, which are fantastic. I love them. Congratulations, fellas. But I want to know what's happening coming on. Okay, That's calm, calm down. I'm, calm down. I'm mad if I, if I stole your thunder. Calm down. Okay, so let me explain to people how we operate. Okay. Okay. Yes, like for instance, yes, this show comes on. We're live six to eight. We restream this show multiple times in a 24-hour period. So the actual time is actually not that big of a deal. But more than, more than likely, each one of the shows, each one of the weekly shows will air around 11 a.m. We've studied the metrics in terms of highest viewership, also high point of engagement. Uh, and so we think that time is a good time for the weekly shows for people who might be going on lunch break and doing different things around that time. And so uh, even now, somebody might be saying, okay, well, what about the West Coast as well? Again, we restream the show multiple times. So people have been watching. There have been times where I've actually, it's been 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I look up and it's 10,000 people watching live uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so, 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 you know, people's viewing habits are different. So, uh, the weekly shows will be in the 11 a.m. Eastern slot, but they'll still be restreamed, uh, uh, throughout, uh, throughout a 24 hour period. And remember the weekly show will be then restreamed for the whole week at mm -hmm. different times. Uh, and, and so that's, that, that's what we'll be doing. So, uh, a Faraji show will be slocked into the three to 5 p.m. slot. Uh, we're toying it with it. We may do four to five fifty-five, which we, we're just still working that out in terms of when we do that. So, um, uh, so we're working through that. Uh, and so again, and then of course, eventually, once we have the twenty-four hour streaming network, you'll be able to simply turn the network on, and then it'll be streaming uh, continuously um, uh, straight up. So, uh, and then that way, so just like when you watch any any other channel. People still be able to watch it on demand, uh, but we'll be doing restreaming the show multiple cases. So, so, so beginning next week, we'll be having five hours of original programming per day, and so mm. two two-hour shows, and then of course the weekly show, uh, and then uh, once we for the first two or three months, as we you know getting our get getting straight with these shows, then we also have uh, three to four other shows that are in development that hopefully we'll be able to launch those shows in Q3 of 2022. So that's what's up. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yep, that's what's up. So, all right. So, and then people keep asking me, well, is Reese going to get a show? Okay. That's right. Reese got to let me know if she want to do one and what uh -oh. she want to do. I can't. Uh -oh. I can't. Y'all got to understand. Y'all can't. Uh -oh. People have come to me. Hey, I got some ideas. So, Reese got to say something. Reese. I don't act like I didn't tweet you. I said if you want to call in show host. No, 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 her. no. That's a generic concept. No, oh, you that, want me that's to generic as hell. You can't. No, that's generic. If you want to call in show. No, that's generic. You got to actually, you got to actually articulate. A, you got to do, it's called a one pager. Hey, 
this is the vision, this is what I'm thinking, and then you gotta say, is it, is it, uh, are you talking about a weekly show, one hour, two hours, are you thinking about a daily show, one hour, two hours, see, you got, you gotta develop the concept, I don't know your okay. schedule, okay, so, Weekly maybe, a daily may be too much. Yeah, because trust me, it ain't no joke. So if it's a weekly, okay, gotcha. But so you got to develop the concept. Okay. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm learning, Rose. Oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. But I'm happy. Listen, I'm, I'm happy for Dr. Carr and Faraji. That is an all-star lineup. So I'm, I'm excited for, for all of the shows coming you. out. Reese, so, we need you. Reese, put that one page in. Stop playing. Stop playing. Please. Get to work. Stop playing. Get to work. All right, y'all. That's it for us. Uh, again, thanks to our panel today. We appreciate it, folks. Uh, we'll see y'all tomorrow. Don't forget, download the Black Star Network app. Again, I told y'all we were not playing. All, all them haters out there who were trashing the show, y'all ain't going to do nothing. Y'all ain't going to survive. I told y'all I don't think about y'all. <laughs> I told y'all that. And so... When I, when I need y'all to listen when I'm talking to y'all. I also keep telling, told y'all we were building the OTT network. It was never about just me having a show. And we also, when we were asking you to support us financially, this is why. Because trust me, okay, the, the, pro, the program development part of these four shows, and again, I told y'all I ain't got a problem being transparent. It's $20,000 a month to pay the company to, to work with all four of these hosts to develop the show, working on the promos, looking at this graphic, all that sort of stuff. That's real money. That's 20 grand outside of my show. That's to develop these four shows. And so when y'all support us with your dollars, that's what it goes to. When I'm calling out these companies who don't support us financially, I need y'all to also be retweeting that and commenting as well because they need to understand that we're serious about this here. You know, it's real interesting. I'm going to leave you on this one here. But I'm going to show y'all what priorities are. I want to show you killer music for me. I'm, this ain't going to take long. It's going to take 120 seconds. And I wish I could. I don't have my computers over there. But if y'all go to my Instagram page, I posted the other day about them, about the final episode of Our Kind of People. And them them only doing 12 episodes. And I would just like if y'all watch the show, just letting y'all know uh, that's it for the show. I posted that on my Instagram page. I want y'all to know that there have been 2,518 comments about Fox only doing 12 episodes of that show. Yet... When I have posted about companies not advertising with black-owned media, maybe 30 or 40. Some of y'all just missed that. Mm. 2,518 comments about a black show on Fox that we don't own. How about that? We don't own. Come Come on. We just own the show. 2,518 comments. So when I am talking about making sure that they are advertising with us so we can generate the revenue to potentially do shows like that, folk don't comment. 
So now you know why Fox gets the advertising and we don't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we've got to be just as willing, because trust me, if they, if one of those advertisers saw my post and saw mm-hmm. 2,518 comments, come on, they will be calling me immediately and setting up a meeting. Wow. I'm just saying what you, what your priorities are determine how you respond when the call is made. So I just want y'all to understand that. So, right. so right. I'm just, just saying, under, just think about that. 2,518 comments. Yet when I posted, I'm going to end it with this one. Yet when I posted about stars having all of these black shows, Come on, building right. their right. network and not spending money with black owned media, Come on. 42 comments. Wow. 42. I'm just saying. Folks, Black Star Network, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. I bring the Funk Fan Club. It's Cash App, Dollar Sign, uh, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at uh, rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Folks, thanks a bunch. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Ha! President Biden announcing he will nominate a historic candidate to the Supreme Court. The president coming before the cameras today with retiring Justice Stephen Breyer and vowing to fulfill his campaign pledge to nominate the first black woman to the bench. The top names on his shortlist and the timeline he gave for making his choice as the 50-50 Senate gears up for a confirmation fight. Also tonight tracking the major nor'easter threat. 40 million under winter storm watches along the East Coast. Up to two feet of snow expected. Virginia declaring a state of emergency. Al Roker timing it out. The shootout in Houston. Three police officers wounded. What we're learning about the suspect. The Pentagon warning Russia has moved more troops to the Ukraine border in the last 24 hours as President Biden holds a critical call with Ukraine's leader. What they discuss. Richard Engel on the front lines. The deadline for millions of healthcare workers to get their federally mandated vaccines. The critical pilot shortage and the major airline launching its own flight academy. No experience necessary. And after 42 years of telling America's story, a beloved member of our NBC News family signing off. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening, everyone. The process of choosing a nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court is officially underway tonight. President Biden making it clear when he'll announce his pick late next month and who the first black woman nominated to the court holding to a campaign commitment. The president's first detailed remarks on how he will move forward coming during an appearance with retiring Justice Stephen Breyer this afternoon. Breyer hand carrying his retirement letter to the White House outlining his plans to step down this summer. 
summer. Tonight, a look at who may be on the president's shortlist to replace Breyer, how he plans to make his decision, and what the reception might be on Capitol Hill. Peter Alexander starts us off. Tonight, President Biden honoring Justice Stephen Breyer's judicial legacy for the president, a poignant close to a personal chapter, noting he ran the confirmation hearing when Breyer was first nominated. This is sort of a bittersweet day for me. Justice Breyer and I go back a long way. And now describing who he will pick to replace him. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue, in my view. Thought to be atop the shortlist, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson on the powerful federal appeals court here in Washington. A 51-year-old Harvard Law graduate who was confirmed with bipartisan support just last year. And 45-year-old California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, along with J. Michelle Childs, a federal judge from South Carolina. Breyer hand-delivering his retirement letter to the president today, saying he will serve until the end of the court's term. The president's supporters hoping it's a chance for a political reset with his legislative priorities stalled. But Republicans are pushing back. They're trying to use this to distract from what is their failed agenda. The American people are all concerned with inflation and crime and COVID. President Biden promises to reach out to senators from both parties for advice, as well as his vice president and others, indicating he's looking for someone in the mold of Justice Breyer. I think he's a model public servant in a time of great division in this country. With Breyer pulling out a copy of the Constitution, pointedly talking about the challenges still confronting this country and reflecting on the American experiment. It's that next generation and the one after that. My grandchildren and their children, they'll determine whether the experiment still works. And of course, I am an optimist and I'm pretty sure it will. Peter, the president says he'll announce his nominee by the end of February. Yeah, that's right, Lester. President Biden says he is already reviewing candidates. The White House has been vetting the top contenders for more than a year now. So behind the scenes, the process is well underway. Lester. Peter Alexander starting us off in the White House. Thank you. Now the attention turns to the Senate, where key members are preparing to begin the confirmation process for Breyer's successor, whomever she may be. Garrett Haig is at the Capitol. Tonight, Senate Democrats eager to begin the confirmation process. That means we're not going to sit around. We're not going to sit on our hands. And we have been very expeditious in all of the other judicial nominees to the point where President Biden's nominees have, he has had more confirmed judges at this point of his tenure than any other uh, president. So far, each of President Biden's 42 judicial nominees have received the unanimous support of Senate Democrats, including Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin who told a West Virginia radio show today he's okay with the president selecting someone more liberal than he is. But whoever he puts up will have experience, and we'll be able to judge him off of that. But as far as just their philosophical beliefs, no, that, doesn't, that will not prohibit me from supporting somebody. This nominee will be the first to have to make her way to the bench through an evenly divided Senate. If Democrats remain united, Republicans could slow but not stop her confirmation. Tonight, the Senate's top Republican holding his fire. I'm going to give the president's nominee, whoever that may be, a fair look um, and not predict on today when we don't even know who the nominee is, how I might vote. But McConnell also offered a warning to the president that he not outsource his decision to the, quote, radical left, 
a possible preview of what we'll hear in confirmation hearings likely to begin in March. Lester? Garrett Hank, thank you. There is breaking news out of Houston tonight where three officers were shot following a police chase. The shootout erupting in a residential area when the suspect's vehicle crashed. Police say the gunman fled the scene but was captured after a manhunt. All three officers were rushed to the hospital. They are listed in stable condition. There's a state of emergency in Virginia tonight as tens of millions along the East Coast prepare for a major winter storm. Al Roker is following. What's the latest? So here we go, Lester. We've been talking about the model differences. Right now, we've got 40 million people under winter weather advisory, storm watches, or warnings. Here's what's happening. We watched this system come up Friday afternoon into the evening. The Euro closer to the coast, stronger, slower, more impacts, especially in New England. The American model, quicker, weaker, further away, although starting to closer to the euro but we do expect to see these major impacts we also expect both models show that we'll have explosive deepening of this storm 30 millibar drop or more which is going to bring strong winds blizzard-like conditions across new england we expect but those impacts could stretch further south as we watch this obviously airports and roads are going to be a big problem over the next 72 hours less and i know you'll update it for us on today tomorrow morning thank you, you New concern tonight about the crisis in Ukraine. The Pentagon says Russia has moved more combat forces to the borders in the last 24 hours. Richard Engel is on the front lines tonight with Ukrainian troops. This may be Russia's way of showing it didn't like the United States' written answers to Russia's demand that NATO leave Eastern Europe and bar Ukraine. New live fire drills near Ukraine more jets into Belarus at naval exercises in the Baltic Sea. Hello, somebody. I'm Nina Turner, and I'm excited to announce that I am running for Congress in Ohio 11th District. Can you make a donation to help us launch our campaign? Now we have the opportunity to continue our justice journey together and address the many crises we are facing, from voting rights, the global pandemic, racial injustice, economic inequality, and more. But I can't do this without you. This campaign doesn't answer to corporate PACs or Washington special interest groups. It answers to you because this campaign is about you. It is for you. People like you in my home state of Ohio and all over the country. And the only way we can win this race and bring our justice journey to Washington is through lots of people making lots of small dollar donations. So if you can, please make a contribution right now. With your help, we can send a clear message about the strength of our movement. Hello, somebody. At naval exercises in the Baltic Sea. President Biden called Ukraine's President Zelensky, who's receiving U.S. weapons. But President Biden has said repeatedly, no American troops are heading his way. On the call, President Biden pledged additional economic support. On Ukraine's front line in the east, the troops are remarkably calm. On watch, but many here seem to be following their government's line, that there's no great reason for concern. We're in good spirits, and we have no problem, says Valentin. Ukraine has already been in a low-level war out here in the east for eight years, emptying out so-called frontline ghost villages. There used to be 3,000 people here. We found three women, all Russian speakers, 
none wants Putin to invade. We live in Ukraine. We don't need Russia, says Tatyana. Yet Russia continues to mass in force. Upwards of 120,000 troops now, and significantly more intelligence officials say coming next week. NATO is trying to show a united front in support of Ukraine, but there are divisions. Germany refuses to send combat weapons, instead is sending 5,000 helmets. The mayor of Kiev was outraged and asked, what are they sending next? Pillows? Lester? All right, Richard Engel in Ukraine, thank you. We want to turn now to COVID and a mixed picture tonight. Positive signs in some areas where cases are falling, but more of those infected in recent weeks are now dying. Kate Snow with the latest. Tonight, a deadline for health care workers. In 25 states, including New York and California, they must now have at least the first dose of vaccine. It comes as some hospitals still face staffing shortages. In California, where average daily case numbers are up 27 percent, L.A. County reported its youngest ever fatality, a 15-month-old baby. In Washington state, they're averaging more deaths now than ever. And nationally, the death rate is still rising. But the average number of daily cases is going down because some states are past their peak or leveling off. Experts are closely watching a subvariant of Omicron that's now been found in a number of states. Early data suggests it's not more severe than the original Omicron. It may be a little bit more contagious. And that's what we have to pay attention to, and that's what we're learning. Does that mean that we could look at another wave or an addition to the wave we're already in? I think another major wave is really unlikely out of this subvariant. Uh, Two weeks ago, we were inside a COVID ICU at the Cleveland Clinic and met Ron Perelka. What would you say to people who think that Omicron is mild and it's no big deal? I'm willing to go walk out the door and they can come and sit in here and see what it's like. Ron is back home and slowly recovering, but his son has been hospitalized for 71 days with double pneumonia and COVID. What's the lesson that we should learn from what your family's been through? I think um, appreciate family. Tell them you love them. Hug them. The times are short. He's hopeful his son will be home soon, too. Kate Snow, NBC News. In just 60 seconds, the critical shortage of commercial pilots and how one major airline is now taking aspiring pilots under its wings with a unique program to train them. Our inside look coming up. Big news tonight of the U.S. economy growing at the fastest rate in nearly 40 years in 2021. But many industries are having trouble filling jobs, including the airlines. Today, United Airlines took a major step to address a critical pilot shortage, opening its very own flight academy. No experience necessary. Tom Costello is in Phoenix. Daybreak in Arizona, and 29-year-old Josh Azua is up early in the cockpit with his flight instructor. 71, rotate. Nice. Pitching 85. Six months ago, Josh was a motorcycle cop in Metro Denver, dreaming of learning to fly. That's when he saw United Airlines is recruiting students, no experience needed, for the first major airline-owned pilot flight academy to help fill the critical shortage of airline pilots. In December, he joined the first class outside of Phoenix. As soon as I had my first flight and we left the ground, I knew this was for me. I was hooked. 
Uh, it's just a completely different feeling than being on the ground. The industry predicts a shortage of 12,000 pilots in North America next year, with too few pilots coming from the military and private pilot training costing $100,000, prohibitive for many. All airlines are scrambling to fill their cockpits. United plans to hire 10,000 pilots over the next eight years, half of them graduates of its new academy. CEO Scott Kirby. This is a way for you to ensure that the, the pilots are being trained to the specs, to the qualifications you want. In the way that the military trains pilots with upset recovery training and really a unique approach to pilot training to train the next generation of pilots for United Airlines. United says 50% of its students will be women or minorities. As a flight attendant, Shelly Thomas dreamed of becoming a pilot. Today, she is. Yeah, you manage the energy perfectly. Teaching Josh to fly and headed for her own career in the cockpit. The ultimate goal would be to fly a 777 for United. Yeah. A 777? Yeah. That's a big plane? Bigger than this one. <laughs> Before becoming a commercial airline pilot, the grads will still need to have 1,500 flight hours. Most will start at a regional airline. As for Josh... Actually, I think they were probably my uh, best landings I've had yet. In a few years, he may be your pilot. Tom Costello, NBC News, Phoenix. On International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we look at how those trying to preserve its memory and meaning are confronting a dangerous, growing movement to rewrite history. Jake Ward has more. Susan Worsinger survived Kristallnacht and fled her native Germany alone with her brother in 1940 as the Nazis began murdering millions of Jews like her. I was there during the night of the broken glass when the, our neighbors who we were friends with, looted our apartment and destroyed some of our furniture. And then I remember I had to be separated from my parents because they wanted us to be safe. She shares her memories at the Holocaust Museum and with groups online. But misinformation and lies about the Holocaust flood the Internet. You literally have some of the most, you know, extremist ideas moving from the margins into the mainstream. We see it in the willingness of people in elected office, those who should know better, to draw ridiculous comparisons between COVID-19 precautions and the Nuremberg laws. There's no basis for those comparisons. And experts say these comparisons aren't just inaccurate, they're dangerous. But the trivialization of the Holocaust doesn't allow us to learn from it. The goal is not only to look back on the past and say, well, what would I have done but to look ahead at the future and ask of ourselves, what will I do? The largest social media platforms officially ban Holocaust misinformation, but a recent study found that 84% of anti-Semitic posts stay up even after being flagged by users. Susan Worsinger, at 93, is part of the last living generation of survivors. She says it's painful to see the Holocaust distorted in politics and online. My father and mother would be horrified. We have to be sensitive to each other and we have to take care of one another someday we won't have living witnesses to rely on this is our moment to protect the truth they lived jake ward nbc news we'll take a break right here up next members of team usa take flight for the beijing olympics gravity is a force to be reckoned with but without it you can't have lift thanks to gravity the real force to be reckoned with just might be you. Beijing Olympics. 
About a hundred U.S. athletes are off to Beijing for an unprecedented Olympics shaped by the pandemic. Steve Patterson was with them as they left Los Angeles. Tonight, Team USA packed, pumped, and ready to compete in the Winter Olympics. Speed skating star Brittany Bowe with a final farewell to mom before a 17-hour flight. Love you. But with COVID complicating everything from training to qualifying, it's already been a long trek. Dude, it's been yeah, such a crazy ride. I'm just fingers crossed we get to get on this plane and get over there safe and sound. This is it. Nearly half the U.S. team is boarding this flight after a lifetime of preparation. But first, they're going to have to deal with some pretty strict protocols. Once they make it to Beijing, they'll be tested daily. They must remain in a fully closed loop, no interaction allowed with the Chinese public. And if an athlete tests positive, they'll be immediately isolated or hospitalized. I've tried to, like, not get so frustrated in my head and just take it day by day. Like, so many invasive, like, nose tests. The Chinese government's zero-COVID policy upping the stress. It's definitely like adding a nerve-wracking part to it, but still, like, I'm just focused on racing and competing my best. That mindset echoed by the whole team. I think that if we just do our jobs, we're going to do amazing. A lifelong dream, undeterred, no matter the obstacle. Steve Patterson, NBC News, Los Angeles. We're looking forward to watching them. Up next, a tribute to one of our own, signing off at the end of an inspiring career. Finally, he has brought us news from around the world and stories of hope and inspiration at the end of many difficult days. Tonight, our story is about Kevin Tibbles as we say goodbye to him after 42 years on the air. If you tune into our broadcast every night, you know Kevin Tibbles well. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Chicago, Tel Aviv, Bosnia, Minneapolis, Baghdad. He's reported from just about everywhere and covered just about everything. Can they withstand the storm surge? A top-notch correspondent with a huge heart. But before the proud Canadian became a beloved member of our team... Kevin Tibble, CBC News, Montreal. He was a reporter in Canada for the CBC. In 1995, he joined NBC News and headed across the pond to London, where he spent five years covering all types of stories, from the war in Iraq... It is an absolutely eerie day in Baghdad. ...to the death of Princess Diana. In 2000, he returned to the States and settled in Chicago, where he's been for the past 20 years. He's covered five Olympic Games and learned how to fight like an ancient gladiator. He took us on a tour of some of London's best pubs and held his own on the ice with some of the world's most elite athletes. From a helicopter over the icy waters of Alaska to the tulips of Holland, Michigan, and some of the greatest roller coasters. Tibbles has done it all. He's up for anything. That dry sense of humor. I got to ride shotgun. And quick wit. Uh, Henrietta's finally put its right foot forward and said, Let's dance! Always shining through. Goodbye, cruel world. And while his adventure at NBC may be coming to an end, if we know Kevin, there's no question there will be plenty more ahead. To the 
Kevin, so many of us that look forward to your stories that remind us of all the good out there and good people. On behalf of your colleagues and our viewers, thank you for your storytelling and for your integrity and for lifting us up every night. Lester, it's been an honor, obviously. So many experiences, so many people, and I have traveled around the world and across this country from north to south, east to west. It has been a blessing working for you working for NBC News, I only have friends. And uh, it's been great bringing the stories of ordinary, regular people to the rest of the nation. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you again. Be, be well, my friend. That's Nightly News. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night.